Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Greenhouse Scholars Skills Modules podcast. This is episode three of the podcast, and today's episode is a career spotlight of what it's like to work in academia, and you'll hear an insider's perspective of the daily life of a professor. Now, let's get real for a second. Here at Greenhouse Scholars, we know that you are busy with school, work, college life, and everything else in between. That's why we've launched this podcast, because we want to provide opportunities for you to learn critical skills for your personal and professional lives, but in a format that matches your busy lifestyle. While you should definitely still check out all of the awesome courses we have waiting for you on the Skills Modules website, while you're on the go, at the gym, washing dishes, or maybe even on a road trip to meet your partner's family for the first time, listen to this podcast and let us know what you want to hear next. So today, I talk with Dr. Wendy Bolliard. Wendy is a professor at the School of Public Affairs at the University of Colorado Denver. She's a leadership development consultant and a board member at the Nonprofit Leadership Alliance. Wendy is a champion of all students and is someone that will work tirelessly to ensure college students' success. I highly encourage you to contact her after listening to this episode. So in today's episode, you're going to learn about the power of adding letters to your name, which basically means pursuing higher education and getting more advanced degrees. Letters behind your name can give you access to people and a seat at the decision-making table that you often wouldn't have access to without them. You're also going to learn about the lesser known fact that a bachelor's degree should focus on your passions, while a master's degree should focus on your career. You can pivot into any career or higher education degree, regardless of what you studied during your undergrad. The career of a professor is typically 40% teaching, 40% research, and 20% public service. If you are interested in becoming a professor, you do not want to miss out on this episode. And lastly, academia needs you. America's higher education system needs people like you to fill the cracks in our institutions and bring academia to a better place through diversity of thought and people who are committed to, you know, pursuing positive impact. So that's enough housekeeping for today. Let's get to it. Wendy, thank you so much for being here today. Um, you know, this, this conversation is going to be about, you know, what you do, first of all, for a, for a living as a, as a professor at uh, CU Denver, and then also about uh, one of the subject that you teach, which is public service and public service careers. So I feel like we should just jump in and I'm going to take a stab at introducing you and then I'll let you finish off just because uh, I feel like I, I have you pegged on some things. Um, so... <laughs> Dr. Wendy Bolliard is a professor at uh, the University of Colorado, Denver. Um, she is a huge graduate school champion, which I would just say higher education champion in general. Um, you are a leadership development consultant and a board member at the Nonprofit Leadership Alliance, lover of dogs, and uh, this is in no particular order. And the last thing I have, Wendy, is that you're a world traveler. Uh, and I know that you and I have a shared experience uh, traveling across Uganda and Rwanda together on a graduate school trip um, a few years ago. 
How did I do? Do anything that I missed there? That was great. I, I do have a cat and I sometimes forget to mention that because I am such a dog lover. And then I'm like, oh yeah, by the way. <laughs> or cats always get left out. I just pegged you as a dog lover. <laughs> I do have a cat. <laughs> uh, well, Wendy, thank you so much for, for joining us today. And, um, you know, the your name came to my mind because of, of two things that I, I've been thinking about with, you know, knowing the, the scholars that we work with at Greenhouse Scholars is that many of our scholars and our past alums, alumni actually have gone down this path is they've, they've pursued careers in higher education, um, you know, such as upgrading a professor or pursuing research opportunities. And then also, you know, regardless of career choice, um, a lot of our scholars, and I shouldn't say a lot, all of them, and even just to become a Greenhouse Scholar, they've, they've shown a passion for public service, for making a positive impact in the world around them. And, you know, you combine both of those things as being a professor at a school in the School of Public Affairs at, at the University of Colorado, Denver. Um, so I figure a good place for us to start is to have you tell me a little bit about, you know, your journey to becoming a professor at the University of Colorado, Denver, um, and you know, like your education, career path, you know, what got you there? Yeah, okay, well, <clears throat> to make a long story short, <laughs> I grew up here in, in Colorado, so um, delighted to, to be living here now. Um, in terms of education, graduated from high school at Arapahoe High School, which is now in Centennial. It was Littleton when I was there way back when. Um, I went to West Virginia University, which is where I completed a bachelor's of science in journalism. My major was advertising. I had minors in psychology and political science, which is, is where I caught the bug in terms of, of public service because mm -hmm. Journalism obviously creates a public value, right? Um, but also the, the political science bug um, caught as well. And so I started working for WVU as an admission counselor. That was my first real job, if you will. Um, but part of that role was creating all of the publications and, and all of the communications that went out to prospective students. So I was using my journalism expertise and writing skills um, but I really had no idea like what is this higher ed business all about and so I started uh, working on a master's degree in education mm -hmm. administration and that really helped me navigate sort of this first professional role that I had and and completed my master's degree there and then decided that well I was actually quickly promoted and spent a few years in a director position at the university and then decided that I, I wanted to move on and and ultimately do doctoral work somewhere, um, but also be close to family. So I ended up at University of Central Florida, mm -hmm. where I continued as a higher ed administrator, but also worked on my PhD in public affairs and connecting students on, on a path that aligns with their, their passion. Um, I find many students that, that I teach, obviously, in public administration, you know, come with servants' hearts, and, and I love that. And so I just love to come alongside of them and, and encourage them to to make a difference in the world and and what I always tell our our certified nonprofit professional students is that you know you you really can change the world um just you know one one small act of kindness at a time thanks for sharing that Wendy I, I love the way you ended that and um, I also didn't know that you're a Colorado native 
I wasn't born here, but I did grow up here. <laughs> okay, I'm well, pretty certain we have Greenhouse Scholars who also went to your high school. Yes. Uh, that's an interesting connection. It's awesome. <laughs> um, so going, you know, you, you had a focus in advertising and political science in, in undergrad, and then it sounds like, you know, working as a, what, a, a counselor, a school counselor at, at the university is what first gave you your kind of taste in, in this direction? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I, I would have never imagined, so when I did my PhD, Jacob, I, I really wanted to hone my research skills. Um, mm. Working in higher education, obviously you're surrounded by super smart people, right? all the faculty, I won't say all of them, but majority of them, right, have PhDs. And so I felt like I needed to, to have a credential to put me on, you know, an, an even playing field with, with the people mm -hmm. that I was at the university to serve. And then I really thought research skills would be transferable. I, I really hadn't intended to be a professor, if you will, and to do this full time. But but getting the PhD and continuing my work in higher administration, I started teaching, you know, one or two classes a year, just kind of as a, a side hustle, if you will. And then I, I just, there's, there's just something about being, you know, in the classroom, whether that be a virtual classroom or, you know, on ground classroom with students and just the conversations and the connections and the relationships. And so I, I finally, decided. Um, I started my own consulting business and then saw this position at CU Denver for full-time teaching faculty. And, and I felt like that really aligned with where I was professionally. And, and rather than doing all of the administrative work where I felt a bit of a disconnect from students, mm -hmm. um, although I was meeting with them and serving them, it's, it's different, right? Being in a, a professor, right? Student relationship where I can write letters of recommendation and I can help mm. boost the confidence of, of students. So that's really what drew me to this full-time role as, as a faculty member um, was getting to serve students on a full-time basis. Great. So, so you pursued a PhD. It sounds like in the, in pursuit of like getting a seat at the table, you know, like using that credential at, you know, to like, um, you know, get yourself a, a seat at the decision-making table to be amongst your peers. But then in teaching courses, after you had it, you realized that you had a passion for the student piece, yeah. the yeah. teaching and the direct student, um, you know, relationship part of, of higher education. Absolutely. Well, you know, I always tell this story to my students. My, my grandmother, my mother's or my father's mother um, didn't complete high school. And I remember when I was in college and struggling financially. And this is back in the day of pay phones. So I was literally putting in quarters, calling a rich uncle and just saying, my financial aid's not here. <laughs> can, oh, can you cover me? Right. So like I can stay here this semester and, and it all worked out. But, but I remember my grandmother saying like, I wish I could help you because the, the more letters you have behind your name, the better off you'll be. And I mm -hmm. thought that was such wisdom from a woman who didn't have formal education. She didn't have any of those credentials. And so 
I don't even know Jacob at the time that I, I fully understood what she meant, but I was like, letters behind my name. Okay. And that just stuck with me. And, and my dad used to tell me, you know, as I was struggling, like, is it worth it? I'm working two jobs, right? I'm just trying to get my bachelor's degree. He was like, you know, what you'll learn in life is the one thing that can never be taken away from you, regardless of how bad things get is your education. Mm-hmm. And so I just knew that that would help me build a really strong foundation for whatever fork in the road, right, I, I might be at, that, that I would feel prepared and, and ready um, and, and always have that, right, to carry with me. And so I felt like the more of it I did, right, that, and, and it actually ended up being true. I mean, I, I was in my last semesters of my master's program when I interviewed for for a position that I would not have been qualified for without Mm -hmm. a master's and so they offered me the position contingent on completing my graduate degree it's a huge promotion for me and so it really affirmed my belief that education really can open doors Um, and so same thing with my PhD I started working for a nonprofit organization right after I finished my doctorate so you know, you just never know where it will take you. Um, and I feel like it prepares you for, for so many opportunities. Yeah, I, you know, I, you touched on such a great point, Wendy, in that we, you know, there's a lot of criticism, I think, in the U.S. And, and sometimes for good reason in that pushing young people to go get a college education without them deciding that they actually want that, right? There's a societal pressure. And that's very true. And, but I would say, however, there is something to be said about even though, even if you study something in college that you don't end up doing, it still gets you a seat at the table. Those letters yes. behind your name, they still serve a purpose, even if you end up going in a completely different direction. And I, I just feel like the, those words of wisdom from your family and your grandmother were, were very true in that those, those letters do something for you. Um, you and I also, we have a mutual connection with Dr. Jamie Van Leeuwen, and I know he's told me as well that you know, one of the reasons he got his PhD was largely just so that you know he could make decisions and people might actually listen to the, some of the things he has to say. Because you know, as he is a professor, but I would say he's mainly in the practicing world. You know, he which mm-hmm. means, you know, he runs a nonprofit. He works for another nonprofit, and those letters behind his name uh, get people to listen to him, and that's a powerful skill. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah, and and. I often talk to students who struggle, like, well, what should I major in as an undergraduate? And and I always just say, find something you love. And and I know sometimes that can be a struggle with, you know, friends and family members that are like, why are you majoring in art history? What is that going to do? And it's like, do what you love, what you're passionate about. Explore lots of different classes as an undergraduate, because that doesn't, right, keep you from any particular career. I find a bachelor's degree to be, you know, a solid entry into almost any career that you'd like to do. And then your graduate education is where you can really specialize. So most people are surprised when I tell them that my master's of public administration students have biology degrees and art history degrees and 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 planning degrees and you know I mean they they run the gamut they weren't all political science majors so you don't have to have a, a formal undergraduate education to move into a graduate degree in something more specialized 
very true. I was one of your students, Wendy, and my degrees were in environmental studies and Spanish. Uh, <laughs> exactly. Well, and, but and, and understanding right how all of this undergraduate education really aligns with the master's in public mm -hmm. administration because you know when I have parents ask me, well, what will my child do with this public service degree or their public administration degree and. And I scratch my head and say, well, what can't they do, right? I mean, because the, the public sector really runs the gamut. And so any specialized education you get anywhere can align with something that you could do to create public value or do for the public good. Mm -hmm. um, so, uh, Wendy, as a professor, can you give me just like a, a run through of what a day in the life of Dr. Wendy Bulliard looks like, and maybe even, you know, what, what does a week look like as a professor? <clears throat> yeah, you know, it's so interesting, Jacob, because one of the things I had to learn really quickly about this role is that it was very autonomous and very flexible. And so being in higher education administration for so long, right, I was used to the Monday through Friday, sort of eight to five grind. We might have some evening events or even a Saturday open house and that was fine, but this position is really different. And so when I think about what, what helps me get up in the morning to do this job, um, it's the fact that I don't always have to get up at a certain time every morning that, that I do have some flexibility. Um, obviously the pandemic has kind of created this interesting environment in higher education where, you know, we did move some of our, well, we moved all of our education online, right? And, um, the spring and and continued that in the fall and so we're just starting right again like some on-campus classes but but I have flexibility to work in the office or at home um my goal as a professor is to really meet students at their place of need so many of my graduate students work full-time which means they're available evenings and weekends so I'm mm. open to meeting with my students in the evenings and on the weekends. A couple of Sundays ago, I had two student appointments and, um, you know, and, and I'm fine with that. So, so I sort of joke with like friends and family who are like, why are you meeting with students on a Sunday? And I'm like, well, I'm a doctor, I'm on call. So I, I just, I try to be flexible and, you know, but I also feel like when you find something you're passionate about, it doesn't feel like work. So it wasn't like, oh, these students were taking time out of my Sunday. It was like, hey, I get to talk to my students and, and see where they're at and, and help them, you know, with the next steps or, you know, get their homework done or whatever it is. So it's, it's not a, a burden, it's a responsibility and it's actually a privilege for me to be able to serve them. So so my week is, is too many meetings, I guess, if you will, um, you know, just on a variety of things where, you know, higher education, we're always talking about what do we do well, what can we do better? So lots of things happening that, that I think most students don't realize that this is what faculty and administration spends a lot of time talking about. Um, obviously, I'm preparing for my courses. Uh, faculty joke about all of the grading they have to do. So we always wonder why we assign so much homework because then we have to grade all of it. Um, so I, I would say it's it's flexible. It, it's fun. It's certainly consuming um, because it, it's a lot of work. But But I love what I do and I love that every week really is different. Um, you know, there, there's some of it that's predictable based on our semester calendar. So I know 
you know, when it's the end of the semester and things get hectic and I have to have grades in by a certain date. And um, so, so there are some weeks that, that are predictable, but others that, you know, you would never know, oh, that's what I'm going to be working on. Okay. That, you know, that is not a huge surprise to me knowing, <laughs> having worked with you and, and seeing how hard you work, Wendy. I, it sounds like, you know, just, what you were saying is that it, it's a labor of love that it, a, a professor like yourself needs to have a passion for what you're doing um, and that it's not, it's very non-traditional. Um, I, I would say that this doesn't sound like a, a career for someone that is just looking to like, you know, put in their 40 hours in and then, you know, punch the clock and go home. It sounds like uh, you know, you're flexible, although I know that that flexibility maybe is two ways where you work really hard, but um, are there times that you get to, you know, like take a step back or, you know, pursue other things rather than like, you know, constantly grading and, you know, structuring your courses? Absolutely. I mean, the great thing is, Jacob, you know, I have nieces and a nephew. And so because I, I put in hours right throughout seven days of the week, like if my niece Audrey has, you know, a field trip on a Tuesday, I, I can volunteer, right, to be one of their chaperones, <laughs> because, you know, if I don't have a class to teach and, and don't have meetings, then, then I know that if I take this Tuesday to be, you know, the elementary school mm. field trip chaperone, that I'm going to put the hours in somewhere else. So it's definitely not a, a clock in, clock out. Well, I mean, we, we have spring break, um, Summers, I, I teach over the summer, but it's also a time for faculty to do a lot of their research. Um, so I think there's this perception that that faculty work two semesters and we get summers off, and and that's not the case. Um, we we actually work really hard over the summer too, um, because part of our 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 mission at the university, right? Faculty are focused in three areas, which is teaching, research, and service. Mm -hmm. So I'm primarily teaching faculty. So 80% of my time is spent on teaching. I spend about 10% of time on service. And what that means is that, Jacob, you mentioned my position with the Nonprofit Leadership Alliance. So I serve on that board and that's one of my ser service responsibilities. I serve on a university committee, I serve on a committee for the school. Um, and so that's all 10% of my time. And then 10% of my time is on research. And so I'm looking in the areas of, of cultural and emotional intelligence and working on some research right now around moving uh, a traditional study abroad program to more of a, a, a virtual experience um, on the pandemic and how that was effective. And and what we learned from that experience. So you mentioned Dr. Van Leeuwen, that's research I'm, I'm doing in partnership with him. Mm. Um, and, and traditional faculty, so I'm on a teaching faculty role. Traditional faculty have what we call a 40-40-20. So 40% of their time is teaching, 40% is research, and 20% is service. So um, yeah, we and, and in terms of hours, right, I can't say that I spend my day and say, did I do my 10% on service today? <laughs> Right. But but over the course of right nine or 12 months, right, th this is what's expected in terms of my contributions and my productivity. So so you really have to be uh, self-directed, if you will. Right. Mm -hmm. That that, you know, your responsibilities and and you're really accountable. Right. To yourself, like 
my dean isn't checking in with me on a daily basis or weekly basis and saying, hey, how did all that service go this week? Um, I just know that as part of my annual review, I need to demonstrate that I've been working in, in all of these areas. So, so you really have to be self-motivated um, to, to do this kind of position. Yeah, it, it really, really sounds like that. I'm wondering, Wendy, how common is it for professors to be given a goal around service? Is that something like particular for a school of public affairs or is that across the gamut? It's actually across the gamut. So, so really any university, you know, across the U.S. in particular, um, you will hear about service responsibilities and, and they might look different um, depending on the institution or the school. Um, but yeah, faculty generally have some kind of service responsibility. So service to the field, um, service to the school, um, that can be defined in, in different ways. But um, I think there is always this perception that, you know, we're, we're immersed in teaching and research, but there is this other component, which is, is what are we doing in terms of, of higher education in general to serve um, in, in different areas? Hmm. I love that. I mean, especially as like a public service employee, I mean, yeah. I love that service is right there in the middle of, of the job description. Mm -hmm. um, so I would venture that a lot of people have an idea that becoming a professor is like the end point in a line of like going to high school, doing your undergrad, going to your graduate school, uh, you know, writing your thesis, getting your PhD, and then like, boom, it's over, you're a professor. But I'm wondering, you know, as a professor, what is like, what's the room for growth? Where are the next steps? Like, what is a common trajectory for someone like yourself? Because yeah, I mean, I, I imagine it can't be that like, okay, you're a professor and there's no more growth. You know, you're not going anywhere. <laughs> no, that's a great question, Jacob. And, um, you know, one of the things we talk about in higher education with faculty is, is this concept of tenure, um, which there's a perception, right, that that's this, you know, lifelong job security without any accountability or responsibility. And so, so this idea of tenure has, has really grown over time and, and evolved a little bit. So like my teaching position is, is not on the tenure track, if you will. So although I'm um, eligible for promotion based on particular amount of time that I spend in my role and also particular criteria. So if I do some innovation in my teaching and, and I publish some of my research and I continue on, on my paths of service, right, I can be eligible for promotion from assistant professor to an associate teaching professor. And then again, there's criteria after a certain amount of time. If I meet these criteria, I can be promoted to a full teaching professor. Mm -hmm. um, and, and in terms of that commitment of time, right, that's generally between five to seven years. So, so you can see why teaching and being in, in the professoriate is a career because it's not just something that you kind of bounce around, but you're really committing to an institution of higher education and you're spending a lot of years there. Now, my colleagues on the tenure track, um, they generally spend about seven years as an assistant professor. And, and this is where they're focusing on their teaching and research, their contributions to the field. And then they, they go through a, a four-year review at, at CU Denver where it's sort of like a check-in, like how are things going? Are you on the path to tenure? And so 
when an assistant professor applies to be associate, um, they submit a full dossier, which includes evidence of, of all of their productivity around teaching, research, and service. And if they're granted a promotion to associate professor, they're generally granted that promotion with tenure. And so what that means is that they do have some protection, some job security, but there is accountability. So an associate professor also after another seven years can go up for promotion to professor. Once someone is a full professor, we do what we call post-tenure reviews. So it's not that faculty get this title and then they sit in their offices and twiddle their thumbs. I mean, they, they are expected, right, to still meet um, expectations around teaching research and service. So so there are wide opportunities. We also have research faculty that, that spend their time in, in STEM disciplines and labs. And I'm a teaching faculty. We have traditional tenure track faculty. So there are so many opportunities in higher education that I don't think we do a really good job of telling yeah. <laughs> prospects about. And then even obviously we have a lot of administrative positions too that mm -hmm that can be filled in higher ed. So I think it's a great, great workplace um, and, and just a great culture to be a part of. Yeah, I'm, I'm really happy. I mean, first of all, you made that sound way more in depth than what I think what the common person thinks of. And also I'm glad you brought up the idea of higher education is like a community of roles. It's not just a professor, or even if there are professors, there's types of professors mm -hmm. in different tracks. and. Yeah. I know thinking of, of some professors I knew at CU Denver, they also held uh, jobs outside of being a professor. They either were politically involved or they um, you know, manage a nonprofit. I know, Wendy, you have been involved in leadership consulting on, on the side. It seems like it's, uh, you know, just there's a lot of room to be autonomous and pursue other passions. Uh, yes. And the other thing I, I'm glad you mentioned is you know, the administrative staff, there are so many roles uh, in, a, in a higher educational institution um, that I know are fruitful. I'm thinking of, you know, the career services department, right? Like the, uh, at, at CU Denver, it, or at least the School of Public Affairs, Joan Fishburn, you know, she is the one that's helping people like me and other students find their passions and the careers that they want to pursue, which you know, also sounds like what a, a fruitful and, and enjoyable position. Yes, yes. Yeah, no, it's so fascinating because, you know, again, I think we we pigeonhole people into disciplines, right? And so if my undergraduate major was journalism, you know, my parents fully expected that I would be writing for some small town newspaper and living in their basement the rest of my life, like, because journalists don't all make a lot of money starting out. So, um, it, you know, but but think about what I've done with a journalism degree and people would be like, oh, she's a professor of public affairs. Like, how does that work? Right. And in fact, two of my colleagues have journalism undergraduate degrees. So it's like you, you just never know. I think about our provost. We have a new provost, Dr. Constancio Nakuma, um, who has been educated across the globe, originally from Ghana. He's a linguist. And a provost at a university is our chief academic officer. So he is the person that oversees all of our academic programs, faculty affairs, number of offices report up to him. Um, 
And so people would be like, why is a linguist, you know, a chief academic officer? And it's like, well, because you can have expertise in your field, but also have administrative and leadership, right, abilities and skills that you can put to use. So that's why, you know, we have college presidents that that have been, you know, in a variety of different disciplines and and it all prepares you, right? And, and that's why I say, like, having this education, whenever I get to this fork in the road, I feel like, great, now I have opportunities and I have choices to make. And, and I think it does open a lot of doors that, that people wouldn't expect. Awesome. It, thanks for that, Wendy. I think, you know, this has been a great highlight of higher education and of being a professor. And um, you know, I, I think as far as my last question about, you know, being a professor as, as a career and working in higher education is, you know, uh, what types, like, would you rec- recommend this to our, our scholars? Um, and, you know, what's the future outlook on um, this career field in, on higher education? Yes, well, I would definitely recommend this. In fact, I would, I would beg your scholars to consider um, academia as a, as a career path because um, we need right people from diverse backgrounds com- coming into the academy and, and bringing their voice. And I think higher education in general is, is at this place, right, where our number of high school graduates is declining in the U.S. And so, you know, there's a lot of competition mm-hmm. around enrollment. And, and I think it's, it's a time, kind of an awakening for higher education. Like, we've been doing things like this for a really long time. Like, are we doing it the best way possible? I think that's why a position like mine as a teaching faculty has emerged kind of out of these, mm-hmm. these organic changes that are happening in higher ed. So I think it's a really exciting time to be part of, of this global community of scholars and, and really think about how are we preparing students for the future? Um, so so yes, and, and I hope that, Jacob, you'll pass the word along that, that I'm happy to be a resource for anyone considering this as a career. And, and part of what I love about my position is, is getting to know people right in different fields and even just being able to connect. And I, I tell prospective students that even if you don't choose CU Denver, I'm still here to answer <laughs> questions and help you navigate this the strange system of higher ed that that not everybody you know because people are like what is a provost and you know like we use these strange terms and 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 the hierarchy is is interesting and so so if I can help you know students navigate getting into this I'm happy to do that. Well, thanks for offering that, and I will definitely include uh, your contact information. Um, at the end of this this module, I'll put it on our skills modules, and maybe even I'll I'll recruit you into our professional networking directory. I I just feel like that would be you know just so help such helpful information just to talk to someone who's been through the process, you know, knows what it's like to go through writing a thesis, and then also you know this the life of of a professor, and and um it's it seems like it's a much more diverse and multifaceted than than I think what a, a lot of people may think. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, Thanks for listening, everybody. I hope you enjoyed this one and discovered some good insights into what it's like to be a professor. If you have any questions for Wendy about her career, our topics from today, general questions about graduate school, or just want to have a conversation and get Wendy's advice, 
please do not hesitate to reach out to her. Wendy's email is wendy.bolliard, bolliard is spelled B-O-L-Y-A-R-D, at ucdenver.edu. I'll also post Wendy's contact information on the Skills Modules website. As always, please send over your ideas for a future topic on this podcast, or someone that you think I should interview. Also, do you have something that you'd like to discuss on this podcast, or do you want to practice your presentation skills? I'm looking for scholar collaborators, so get a hold of me. I promise it'll be fun. Okay, everybody, that's all from me for today. So until I have a better or cooler tagline, take care, make time for the things that make you happy, and see you next time.